Welcome to the Process Breakdown Podcast, where we talk about streamlining and scaling operations of your company, getting rid of bottlenecks, and giving your employees all the information they need to be successful at their jobs. Now, let's get started with the show. Dr. Jeremy Weiss here, host of the Process Breakdown Podcast, where we talk about streamlining and scaling operations of your company, getting rid of bottlenecks, and giving your staff everything they need to be successful at their job. Past guests include David Allen of Getting Things Done, Michael Gerber of The E-Myth, and many, many more. Check out other episodes. Before I introduce today's guest, Sarah Shepard with String Can Interactive. This episode is brought to you by Sweet Process. And Sarah, I don't know if you can relate to this, but have you had team members ask you, this is a rhetorical, <laughs> have you had team members ask you the same questions over and over again? And it's maybe the 10th time you spent explaining it. There is a better way. There is a solution. Sweet Process is a software that makes it drop dead easy to train and onboard new staff and save time with the existing staff. And I was talking to one of the founders, Owen, not only do universities, banks, and hospitals and software companies use them, but actually first responder government agencies use them in life or death situations to run their operations. And you can use Sweet Process to document all the repetitive tasks that eat up your precious time, your team's precious time, so you can focus on growing your team and empowering them. So you can sign up for a free 14-day trial. No, no credit card is required. You can go to sweetprocess.com. It's sweet like candy, S-W-E-E-T process.com. I'm excited to chat with today's guest, Sarah Shepard. She's the Chief Operating Officer of String Can Interactive. And we're going to go deep on some really interesting topics. And they believe in putting strategy before tactics. And strategy can be a scary world that sounds expensive and time consuming, but it doesn't have to be. And that's what String Can helps you do. Sarah, thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having me, Jeremy. You know, we were talking about you know, we, I want to talk about lagging leading indicators and, you know, how to monitor a company's health. And can you just start there? What do you mean by that? You know, tra- you know, li- lagging and leading indicators and tracking a company's health. Well, uh, you really have to start somewhere. So, you know, when people say, what does success mean? It's actually sort of the first step that we took to figuring out our scorecard, as we call it, because we run on EOS. And so it's like, how do you know if you're successful or not? Well, uh, I have no idea. It's just a gut feeling. Well, people, especially like me, if you're in the operations role, you love data and metrics and you really want to know what's successful. And so I think, you know, making sure that every person in the organization has a number, it drives accountability, it makes people feel like they're actually successful in their role. Um, And if they're not hitting those goals or the metrics, um, then it's a way to give them help in a really specific area versus trying to solve something that's not the problem, which often a lot of us are led down a rabbit hole of figuring out how to solve something. And it really isn't the root issue. Um, And so trying to have a mix of the lagging and leading, which can be a little tough, um, but just kind of recognizing it's a living thing. We change our scorecard um, maybe once or twice a year, but we always audit it um, every single quarter. Talk about the scorecard and how you implement a scorecard. Yeah. So really just getting started, you know, can you make sure that every single department, maybe you just start there um, versus every person having a number. So if you've got a leadership team of 
Um, you know, in EOS, there are three buckets, you know, finance, um, sales, and then your sort of services department. Can each of those have at least one number that would help you identify if it's a healthy um, department or not? And so some people uh, just pick some numbers. There are tons of templates out there. You could start with uh, discovery calls or, um, you know, client projects overdue or cash in the bank. Um, but then you kind of start thinking about, do I have control over any of those numbers? You know, are you giving someone a number that they don't actually have any kind of control over? Um, and we've gone through that quite a bit with our sales and marketing team. Um, and we really just nailed it down to one number that we could create an issue out of if it was off track, for example. Um, and so just kind of making sure, like, does your team need to know how much cash is in the bank? Um, is that something you could share with uh, the operations and the CEO? Um, you know, so not all of those numbers have to be shared across the whole leadership team, but can you have at least one? Uh, and is it just enough? You know, is it just enough that it gives you a head start on an issue? So, for example, if you've had zero discovery calls four weeks in a row, your pipeline is probably pretty dry. Um, so that's an issue, you know, then nail it down. At least you know where to start, that it's maybe not that process. It's go back a few steps and kind of start auditing your process as you go along and get yourself some, some solutions <laughs> before that number hits zero again. How often do you monitor that? Like the discovery we call weekly. example. Weekly. Yeah, weekly. Um, we have a leadership team every single Monday, a leadership team meeting every single Monday. And so um, every Monday we have a handful of numbers. There are seven numbers currently that are reported. And then I have a same page meeting every Friday with the CEO and I report so many finance metrics. Um, and you could do them weekly, monthly, annual, or quarterly. Um, and so I report, I try to have at least one number for each of those time periods. Um, so it's sort of a, it's, the, our CEO loves to have a, a dashboard of sorts. And so this is how I give him visibility into the company's health um, financially so that he doesn't feel like he has to ask me questions. He can pop in there anytime. And worst cases, he's a week behind. Um, and I think it's really helped us stay focused. Uh, last year, we actually had our quarterly meeting was supposed to be right when COVID hit. Um, so we kind of waited a few weeks, let everything settle down. And our implementer actually insisted that we stay on track with our goals. He said, it's not the time to kind of edit your goals just because this is happening. See what you can do. Just see how far you can get. Make it a, a BHAG <laughs> and just roll with it. And our scorecard really helped us, um, I think, feel better about the situation because there were numbers we could still control and it wasn't so spiraled out of our, our reach. What was an example, can you remember, Sarah, of an example that you had a number and you changed it? Or not what the number was, but what was, the, what was it on the scorecard? So we have a, uh, a couple of goals related to, um, we're also a member of AMI, Agency Management Institute. And it's uh, for agencies, digital marketing and traditional marketing agencies. And so we operate through a couple of their metrics. I actually use them in my scorecard. So I sort of double dip uh, that they have a formula that's 99.9% .9 of the time, it means this is a healthy agency. 
Um, and so uh, one of those was hitting a billable percentage for our client services team. Um, and that number actually went, <laughs> interestingly enough, on the high side, it was almost like our team was too billable. They were just doing a lot of extra 1% to help keep our clients healthy and dealing with a lot of the stress. Um, but, you know, we let it go on. There's sometimes you have to kind of evaluate, is this, is this working for us, you know, and how do we keep our clients feeling happy and successful? Um, and so recognizing that um, you can go the last 1% and we were feeling really good about that number, but it also helps you dial it back because sometimes that can be an avalanche of continuing to go down and almost delivering more than your, yeah. um, your charging. And uh, so it was very helpful for us to kind of get on the same page with our clients. Like, okay, we're, we're getting through this together. Let's now refocus and get things back on track in the marketing world. Um, and a lot of them did really well um, or at least maintained through, through most of the crisis. So you mentioned, you know, we were talking before and you mentioned, um, you know, talking about the different lagging leading indicators and you mentioned uh, saying ROI is tricky. So I just wanted you to expand on that and have a conversation around what you mean by ROI is tricky. Yeah, you know, marketing just changes so much. Um, it's almost impossible for a business to keep up with um, anything other than a partner or an internal team. It's really uh, just like, <laughs> it's like a kid, they could just grow so fast. And before you know it, they're going off to college. Uh, marketing is kind of like that and trying to keep up with the changes in privacy laws and, um, you know, algorithms and just your competitors. Um, so just the system itself, it's not as simple as just picking some some keywords and throwing them out there. So ROI is it's kind of like um, backing up with our clients and finding their scorecard. What do you need to feel successful? You know, what are your client goals? Um, and sometimes it depends on the stage of their brand. So potentially it's not just getting new customers. Of course, that's always the end result is making sure our clients make money and that they're successful and um, they grow. But is it, hey, we just launched this brand new brand. We really need recognition. Um, is it just getting more traffic to your website? So some of those things, you know, a return on investment implies a financial component. Um, and so things like content, for example, is typically very traditionally hard to justify the ROI on um, blogs or lead magnets or any type of content because it's just a part of the funnel or the buyer's journey. Um, and so that particular piece is really com um, contributing to your SEO, your web traffic, your newsletter list, just a million other things that it's really hard to pin down ROI. Um, and actually, there are a couple of articles out there recently that if a marketing agency can promise you ROI, um, watch out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's like a top of funnel thing where it's like someone hits the page, they interact with it. At that point, they may opt into an email list. And let's say that company's sales team is not that great or 
well then the article may have done its job which collect a you know a email or someone contacting them but the rest is kind of up to that company to execute on is that is that kind of what 100 percent? Yeah. yeah so there's all these moving pieces with you know did that one piece do what it's supposed to do yes but did it produce something on the other end well you know that's out of your out of someone's hands at that point there's other departments or teams or things that will will lead to that turning into a a client or customer yeah and the number of touches it takes now it's actually i think increasing because the touches are almost smaller because the attention span and if you ever watch someone uh, someone other than yourself scrolling through their feeds um it's insanely fast and just think if they're scrolling through instagram um, how many ads they saw in a minute and that potentially could have considered a, a touch um you know if they click on the ad obviously that's a real touch but maybe it takes them four times of seeing that ad before they they click on it and so it's kind of funny seeing yourself as a marketer and you really want to click on that instagram ad and you go, oh no now they're going to show me more of these dresses you know i just don't know if i want to see more so um just kind of a little patience and recognizing that all those pieces are like puzzle pieces tying in and that your sales team can actually uh, execute when you're getting those leads. You talked about discovery calls, billable percentage. What are other examples of leading or lagging indicators? Yeah, I find leading indicators, you know, we reevaluate this so often that it's, it's almost a little tough, but what we're really looking for are issues. Um, I'm actually looking to create issues. Um, so a healthy organization is one that can have those tough conversations. They're actually creating issues. Um, it's actually not a great sign if you continue to not have what we, I'm using the EOS term issues, uh, issues in your leadership meetings. If you can't find things to make those tough conversations happen, there's probably something going on. Um, so our client services team has three numbers. I have three numbers and they're actually not related to finance. Um, my numbers are related to ours, um, because team health is really important. We were finding that, um, you know, trying to predict time in an agency, there is no silver bullet for uh, a project management system right now. Uh, if anyone ever comes up with one, they'll be set for life. It would, statues would be made in their honor. <laughs> um, I, there have been proprietary systems built. So something I'm looking at is our team health and tracking hours, which does like eight things. So it tells me how healthy our team is, how utilized they are, if they're overutilized, are we ready to hire someone? Is that an indicator mm -hmm. of um, hiring? Because there's always that chicken egg conversation happening. Uh, do you have enough work for someone, but it takes you know at least eight weeks to find a new hire? Um, in that time, will your team get burnt out or will you have just enough work? Um, and do they have the time to train? And so um i actually can also find if there are issues within our partners or our network of freelancers if um reported hours for planning and then actual if there's a huge discrepancy is there a client delay or um you know an issue with a project or because of course in marketing nothing ever goes according to plan, <laughs> no matter how good your intentions are um 
So those are a couple of mine. And then our sales team, really discovery calls is the biggest um, scorecard item for her. It's really something that um, gives us super visibility into splitting her time in half and saying, okay, past the discovery call phase, we nail it. Um, we really resonate with the client at that point. Um, they're ready to move forward. So it's anything before that, uh, filling the pipeline. Is it, um, you know, and she reports monthly on other indicators in our marketing tactics for within the agency. So um, those are really, you know, we've kept it simple um, and it works. Yeah, there's just three numbers. And that is hard. I mean, it's hard to predict the hours piece. And do we need to hire? Do we not need to hire? Because if someone gets a big project, if you get a big project, well, all of a sudden everything changes potentially. So it's very hard. Um, Sarah, what, what, sh what should uh, a company be looking at is they're hiring, you know, a perfect COO like yourself. Okay. Uh, what would be, what would be a good, some of the characteristics if someone's looking at hiring a COO? Oh, well, I think one thing that worked for Jay and I, so I actually started at StringCan as his part-time administrative assistant. And I've held this maybe um, in my own mind. I don't know if I've ever shared this with anyone out loud, but I think finding someone and initially starting that kind of relationship um, because it, if they're a CEO and they've never, for example, maybe if they've never had someone as their right-hand man, you sort of have to pull the delegation piece out of them, especially entrepreneurs. They are just, it's their baby. They really don't want to let anything go. Um, and that's kind of how I got this role was really asking for forgiveness versus permission uh, because I saw how busy he was. And so I kind of just taking stuff sense. off of his plate. Exactly. Yeah. And I got a sense for the things that gave him energy and the things that didn't. And um, we're very lucky that naturally the two of us are very different. We're yin and yang. I am 100% an integrator and he is definitely a visionary. Um, but making that relationship work is finding a mutual sense of respect. And we're very good about, um, one, we recognize that we're both coming from completely different places. And if we want a solid answer to an issue, we both come at it with passion and we hear each other out. And there's always this awesome middle ground that comes out. Um, and sometimes, you know, you learn to pick your battles and acquiesce uh, when it's appropriate and learn from each other. So, there are actually cool groups. Um, you can find what's called a fractional integrator. So I think of an integrator, it's not always a COO type, but it's that you're really looking for that second opinion and to round out. It's like having a sandwich with no meat or, you know, no Sounds cheese. terrible. Right. It's just <laughs> bread and you're only getting one side and you're full on bread um, and you're not holistically healthy and feeling satisfied. Um, and so you can kind of start with a fractional, which is um, a part-time type of integrator. And finding out, is that something, um, I say that because a lot of CEOs are visionaries, but not always. Um, fractional visionaries are very rare, but finding your gap, I think, is probably the, the hardest piece. Because um, <laughs> nobody wants to admit what their gaps are. But uh, if you're lucky, you'll find those CEOs who are like, hey, I stink at you know, integrating or doing the stuff. I hate doing the stuff. I just want to be in my whiteboard room and think all day of cool ideas. And we call them shiny objects. Um, 
and just making sure that that person that you find really respects your your vision. <laughs> you know, sometimes we'll go off and on a tangent, and so I've really learned to ask Jay, like, what's the end result here? What are we What are we doing with this uh, this giant project? And so it really creates some healthy dialogue. <laughs> that's that's kind of what I want to talk about is how to best communicate if you're an integrator and you are working with the visionary and to have that healthy dialogue. And I love that question. Uh, but I want to point out too, if someone, you know, one of my favorite books, Rocket Fuel by Mark Winters and Gino Wickman, um, I think you could go on and take like a, a test for free on their site somewhere. Maybe it's a Rocket Fuel site or Mark Winters site. Um, and you get a score if you're what your score is for integrator or visionary. It's very interesting. And it's called Rocket Fuel because you combine the integrator, the visionary, and then go to the moon, right? So right. talk about the communication, which is, I love that, that question you asked. So you let the visionary talk. You don't want to, you want to have a healthy communication, but you also don't, you know, there's going to be a wake left behind on some of these projects where that you probably have to pick up the pieces as the, as integrator. So one was what's, what's going to be the end result of this? Are there any other things that you use to create a healthy dialogue and not that kind of, um, you know, where you're in each other's space and feel like I'm not being heard. Yeah, that's, I, I've worked at roles um, where I've had that, where you just kind of feel like you're talking to a wall or you're not even asked your opinion. And I think probably one of the most important pieces of the rocket fuel methodology in EOS is the same page meeting. What's interesting is Jay and I had actually adopted that unintentionally before we'd even heard of EOS um, and implemented it at the organization. We just started naturally having these weekly meetings and I found some old agendas um, and it was great because the same page format gives you a really specific um, set of things to go through. And the first thing is the segue, which is really both of you checking in on a personal level. Um, and I think that's really helped us both sort of break down that one, we feel like uh, you have to be perfect or if you're suffering from imposter syndrome where if something's going on in your life, you can't share because um, it means you can't handle anything. So just being able to check in on a personal level really sets the stage for, uh, okay, now that that's going on, you sort of have a peek into how the person's going to respond or react or how they're feeling. So if you know someone's going through a lot of really tough stuff personally, or they're really busy, maybe they're a little thinner than usual. Um, and so is that really the time to talk to the CEO about changing over your entire project management system or your billing system? Probably not. You know, so pick and choose and, and treat it like a relationship. Um, it's probably one of the most important relationships you might have um, besides a, a spouse or a really intimate family relationship. Um, and just being respectful. So it did help us to take a couple of assessments. We did do the rocket fuel. What's funny is Jay uh, scored very, very high on the visionary, also high on the integrator. So he gets my world. He just doesn't want to be in it. Um, and so I found that very helpful. Uh, but we also took a Colby and uh, DISC assessments, which helped us realize that the differences, um, probably getting the Colby comparison was one of the most eye-opening where uh, I'm a huge fact finder and he's a huge risk taker and we're both the opposites in the ones where we're the other strongest. So saying, okay, I recognize that you need all the facts before you're going to make a decision. Um, 
And that can be frustrating for a visionary CEO. Oh, and they hate it. They absolutely hate it. You're slowing my roll. You're killing my shiny object buzz. (laughs) I've taken the Colby. My my wife took a Colby. We had actually uh, a consultant do a joint session where they explain both of our Colby scores. So I, I think it's, it's amazing. I found that to be more helpful than trying to decipher it myself. Um, it was actually through strategic coach. They had suggested that. Um, what's interesting too, is that I, because I want the facts and I want to think about the answer, I actually <laughs> would develop RBF or resting face and um so jay has <laughs> kindly asked me to explain that he goes when you're in meetings you looked really upset about this topic i said no not at all i was really thinking there was a problem presented and i thought there's got to be a solution and my mind went into solution mode he goes okay can you share that next time <laughs> because i thought you were really upset um and so that's been really helpful for us to just kind of say hey your body language means a lot um can you share what's on your mind (laughs) so same page meeting you guys did the assessments just so you can communicate better um but you check in a personal level what else do you make sure to do in the uh same page meeting um we get to the to the issues Uh, typically i think through the eos model you're supposed to manage your same page meeting as long as it takes to get through those issues Uh, But we have a standing one and a half hour, um, you know, we're a smaller organization, so time is very valuable. We actually just did a meeting audit um, and saved ourselves, I don't know, um, probably uh, 30 hours a month across the organization. Um, But in that meeting, we really get to the the heart of what's going on. So uh, we'll talk about what's coming up, what's, uh, what's happening, how's the team doing, um, and sort of ideate the future of the organization. So it's never very long where we aren't talking about the next quarter, the next year, the next five years, the next 10 years. Of course, we do that in our quarterly plannings and annual meetings, but um, really to keep the needle moving and make sure that we're both on the same page we literally do check that we're on the same page in those meetings. And so we end up going, okay, are we on the same page? You rate the meeting. How do you feel? Um, and what's interesting is I always feel like he's, he's kind of be overwhelmed in these meetings. Like I'm coming at him with all kinds of stuff, legal, finance, tax, and he loves it because it gives him a, a peace of mind uh, that everything's operating smoothly, or if it's not, he knows about it um, and that he can trust me to do my job Yeah, and that he can go and um, find some shiny objects for us. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about manufacturing marketing uh, with mm-hmm. profile precision extrusions, just to highlight what I mean by not everyone can understand, Oh, strategy before tactics, what that looks like. So, as that is an example, can you talk about some of the things you did with them? Yeah, I think um, it's kind of like a gut check for a lot of clients and um, you know businesses that come to us. Usually your marketing isn't going well or you have sort of outgrown your internal department. You really need some help. And so it's kind of like help. I don't know where to start. Um, And what we need to start with is what do we know? You know, where are you in 
the world? Um, how are you being found? Are you being found? And so there are a lot of these questions that, um, that clients may or may not have the answer to, or at this point, it's probably outdated because marketing is moving so quickly. So we do a lot of, um, you know, put a lot of energy into the audits. Um, you know, where are you? If you don't know where you're starting from, it's really hard to move forward and then also to judge if things are successful or not. Um, and we are not fans of wasted spend. You know, we're very thoughtful about what we're going to suggest to our clients. I, nobody believes in everything is going to work for you. Um, so I think really finding where's your audience, um, which is your personas. And so developing those personas is a lot of um, effort and energy and research, uh, especially now with a you know, privacy laws and depending on the industry, you know, when you're in real estate, for example, um, housing laws and sort of navigating all of those nuances. Um, and then what? Right. So once you have that, then what? What are the tactics that I'm implementing? Um, and so, you know, starting with something to judge success. Um, and typically, once we do that audit and find the roadmap for the business, um, then they know what to do next. And so then it's um, a lot, a way to get clients to understand where they are. And we typically will just start with a strategy project. Um, if they're interested in like a long-term contract, that's amazing. But we do recognize that it can be overwhelming for us to say, hey, here are all the things that you could possibly do, be doing. Here are some suggestions. Um, and typically clients are like, wow, I really don't, don't like the flow of that and they'll want to make changes to their website or they'll recognize that other things are a priority. So it's really an eye-opening experience for clients. Yeah. So they come in, whatever the issue is, you get a nice audit just so you can see where are all the moving pieces going? What, what are the possible solutions to this problem? And then kind of lay out here are the solutions, whether it's you know, a website or Google ads and content or lead magnet or consult, you know, there's a lot of things I know that you, you guys do as an organization. And then from there, you know, kind of put a fix in place and it's, you know, it could lead to a longer term strategy and longer term solutions, but just start with something because everything could be overwhelming. Is that about so, right? Yeah, uh-huh, for sure. <laughs> I want to, first of all, sorry, be the first one. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. This has been great. I've taken a page of notes um, on all these things. And I want to encourage people to check out stringcaninteractive.com. Are there any other places we should point people online, Sarah, that'd be good to check out what you and the organization are doing? Um, well, check out our newsletter. We actually put a lot of really fun content out um, and we're on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram. Our Instagram is pretty fun. We keep it sort of uh, focused on our culture, but um, yeah, keep an eye out for us. We're always uh, looking for new people and growing and excited. I really appreciate you having me. It was a really fun conversation. Awesome. Check out stringcaninteractive.com. Check out more episodes of the podcast. Check out sweetprocess.com. Thanks everyone. Thanks for listening to the Process Breakdown Podcast. Before you go, quick question. Do you want a tool that makes it easy to document processes, procedures, and or policies for your company so that your employees have all the information they need to be successful at their job? If yes, sign up for a free 14-day trial of Sweet Process. No credit card is required to sign up. 
Go to sweetprocess.com, sweet like candy, and process like process.com. Go now to sweetprocess.com and sign up for your risk-free 14-day trial. Hi, this is Owen, the CEO and co-founder here at Sweet Process. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast interview, uh, actually, you know what I want you to do? Go ahead and leave us a five-star review on iTunes. That way we get more people aware of the good stuff that you get here on this podcast. Again, go on to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Looking forward to reading your review. Have a good day. Mm -hmm.